Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Jane Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. This is Fran Lewis, and I'm your host, and this is MJ Network. And we're work- waiting for the uh, author of Blood in the Low Country, Paul Attaway, to call in. He says he's calling in. He should be here any second, but he's not. I have no idea what happened. So let me tell you a little bit about the book while we're waiting for the author to call in. Okay? Um, The year is 1973, and by all appearances, Monty Atkins has a wonderful life. He lives in a beautiful Charleston town in South Carolina. His small law practice is growing, and he and his wife are raising two boys. Walker is their own son, and Eli is the son from Rose's first marriage, a troubled union she has been running from since its dissolution. But brewing beneath the surface links a conspiracy of lies about who they are and what they believe. When a brutal murder occurs, things turn deadly. And we are waiting for the author to, to come in, and he's still not here. And I have no idea what's happening. I'm waiting for him to come in. I'm going to put the number again. And the number is 347-884-9045. Right, that's my number. Nope, he's not here yet. I don't know what the problem is. I'm going to find out. But for those of you that uh, haven't read Blood in the Low Country, it's a really interesting book, and I'm hoping that more people read it. And I'm hoping that the author calls in any second now, because I don't know what happened. Okay, I'm going to look on my phone, make sure I put the right number in. Before seven. It should be the right number. Four seven. yeah. It's not there. I have no idea. I'm still waiting for the author to call in. There's something not right here. You see, I'm going to call in myself. 1-347-884-9045. Yeah. Yes, yeah, the right number. You gotta tell him he's still not here. I have no idea. I actually might have to reschedule this, but I don't know when, because he's not here. And it's the right number, 884-9045. This is so weird. And the publicist said that he is. So let me tell you something about my new book, which is going to come out. I'm not sure when which is called The World Without People. And it talks about this pandemic, and it talks about different world pieces in the world. And I have a feeling I'm going to have to reschedule this. Should we reschedule? I'm still waiting for the author to call in. Don't know what happened. 
I have no idea. I'm going to give it another couple of minutes, and then I'm going to end the episode, and I guess I'm going to have to reschedule the show. I guess. I'm not sure. Still waiting for the author to call in. I have no idea what happened to him. I have no idea. I'm just still waiting for the author to call in. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. He's not there yet. I don't know what to do. Yeah, well, and the author's phone is off, and he's getting the publicist is getting his voicemail. So I think I'm going to end this episode. I'll give him another couple of minutes and the publicist can seem to get him on the phone so I am going to end this episode and I don't know when I'm going to reschedule it I have no idea this is really not good the 11th, the 13th, the 18th, the 20th, the 25th, the 27th I don't have a date until I don't know when and I don't really want to do three shows. I have the 16th, the 18th. I'll give him February 15th. Oh, here he is. Hi. Paul. Hello, good morning. I got. I had no idea what happened. But I was on um, the site, and it's, the time was off, so I told David that I fixed it. But I don't know. We got a well, lot I, of um... Okay, good. I was dialing um I was dialing three four five eight eight four nine oh four five and I kept getting a message saying the uh caller was not available and then I just spoke with David and he gave me a different phone number. I gave him the right phone number, it was three four seven eight eight four nine oh four five. He gave me the wrong number. See yes. this is what happened. Yes. Okay. So here we well, are though. Oh thank God. Tell us about the family dynamics of the Atkins family. This book really was a sh- interesting. Yes, well, the the family dynamics are uh, certainly drive the story. Um, it starts with the marriage between Monty and Rose, and Rose comes to the marriage with a tremendous amount of baggage. Uh, she grew up in abject poverty, and uh, her mother was a saint and was a wonderful woman, but her father certainly mm-hmm. was not. Um, neither was her older brother, who we really don't meet, but we're aware of him. And she needs to get as far away from um, her family as possible. And yeah. uh, she she does make it to the University of Alabama, um, but sadly, while she's there, uh, and this, of course, is all taking place in the, in the 1950s, um, while she is there, she meets a man uh, who initially sweeps her off her feet, but he, too, um, is, is a bad sort. And so she she has a child with that first husband and flees and later um, meets Monty, uh, the man that she ends up marrying. And Monty is a a very humble, hardworking, uh, God-fearing man and and, uh, does everything he can to try to build a cohesive uh, family. But what we see is that uh, they have two boys, one from Rose's first marriage and then one mm-hmm. between Rose and Monty. And her dysfunction just can't seem to do anything but, but drive this family apart as she is determined to use her marriage and her husband's status and the lives of her two boys to prove to the world that you know she's not the white trash she grew up believing she was. So that's yeah, a lot of the family dynamics. They're an interesting family. And sad too. So Walker is my favorite character. 
He's my prime character. He's having trouble fitting into the world. The mother, his mother created him. She, unfortunately, in some respects, she reminded me of my mother. Because she expected him always to do what she said and always to do the right thing and perfect. And that's kind of hard. So how does he deal with that? Because every time he wants to do something that's fun for himself, he can't do it. And that's hard for a kid. It, it is hard. And it's it's interesting that you say that because uh, that she's Rose is like your mother, because I hear two things about Rose. I hear what you just said, that everyone, I say everyone, a lot of people can look at their own mother and see a bit of Rose in them. Oh, yeah. Um, but we do make Rose to be particularly um, evil in this book. So at the same time, I, mm-hmm. I certainly hope there aren't too many people who had a mother uh, that was like Rose. But I think it's natural for every mother to want to um, see their their children succeed. And I mm-hmm. think it's also human that we see uh, ourselves' reputations being burnished when our children excel and do well. So I, I think that that is a, a trap all of us as parents can fall into. But you're right. Um, her pressure is pressure on steroids. Yeah. And it makes it such that um, there's no joy for Walker when he wins because it was never really his idea. He's, it was expected. He's pushed when he wins. He makes his mother proud and he can't stand that level of attention. But then when he loses, um, he gets the shame and condemnation from his mother. So he's trapped and there's really, there's really nowhere, there's no place for him to go. Second place wasn't good enough for her. I know how that feels. Second place was, yeah, second place was never good enough. Tell me about it. Yeah. Rose's past was riddled with abuse, criticism, and being made to feel like a failure, too. So tell us about how she thought she could overcome it. And was college her savior, or was it her downfall? I mean, I didn't have a well, choice. I um, went, like, five times. College was my – I loved college. <laughs> I loved college, too. Um, and, uh, well – you know, her, her, um, the baggage that she brought out was that at her center, at her core, uh, she felt she was worthless. Uh, the only man in her life was her, her father, who was emotionally abusive and, and physically abusive. Yeah. And openly said that he had no place for her in his life. Uh, the other uh, man in her life growing up was her brother, um, who also abuses her. And so this is, this is uh, her image of men. And, um, you know, she's also raised in the South, and her mother was a deeply religious woman. So she has that going with her. But since she sees God as a man and the only men in her mm-hmm. life that found no use for her, she struggles with her, with her relationship with God, thinking God has abandoned her as well. Um, so, but she's, she is smart and she is beautiful. And she wants nothing more. For her, she sees college as her salvation. That's what she sees. Mm-hmm. She sees if she can get to college, graduate, and become something, she'll be able to show everyone in her life that she mm-hmm. is valuable, that she is worthy. So initially, college appears as if it's going to serve that function for her. Um, but life intervenes, and she's never able to finish college and that haunts her and continues to drive her. Um, ultimately, what provides salvation for her here in this world, what allows her to sort of break through her fears and insecurity is the unconditional love of her husband. And um, that is what, um, the, there's a crack in the ice. And through the manner in which Monty uh, loves her and treats her, she starts to see that while college would have been a wonderful thing, it wasn't the salvation. You know, what the salvation for her was her ability to see herself as someone that mm-hmm. was uh, lovable and, and could be loved. And her husband, Monty, uh, ultimately provides that for her. Yeah, but what can I say about Rose? Um, yeah. So she she was she didn't realize that you know self esteem is is a big is a big part in this too. So, but she wound up with wrath, and that was a relationship that should have told her that was poison. But she didn't think she didn't think so. No, she didn't. Um, I mean, yes, uh, wrath uh, wrath was poison. 
Um, yeah. But uh, we know, you know, he was he was good looking, bit of a rogue, yeah. bit of a charmer. Uh, she had no experiences uh, in life that would have maybe warned her away. Um, I mean, I'm no psychiatrist, but I mean, I, I think you could probably say that she, you know, she was seeking the approval of a man. She never got that at home, and here was a man that was paying attention to her, and uh, you know, in a strange way, this this man Wrath was like her father. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, she saw that in him and saw a way to get her father's approval, you know, through, the, through getting the approval of, you know, the first man that ever really paid attention to her. So yeah, she, she didn't really she, seek, she didn't seek, she wasn't too perceptive on this one, that's for sure. No, no, she wasn't. She wasn't. And I, I think she, she figures that out. Uh, but by then, um, you know, life has progressed. And she's first. She goes. Uh, she sees his flaws and faults, but likes the idea of having a boyfriend, having a Saturday night dance at the sorority and fraternity functions. And she has to live in denial as to who the man really is, because it's just mm-hmm. too much more pain to have to acknowledge that she has found herself again joined at the hip with another uh, evil man. Um, and but at some point then she she's left with no choice but to leave him. But uh, you know, another failure, uh, having had another man in her life uh, hurt her and disappoint her, then makes it very difficult for her to going forward fully ever mm-hmm. trust a man again, and and uh, fully embrace what Monty is willing to give her. And she sees in her boys that they are somewhat inadequate yeah. and that absent her direction, they're never going to be what she needs them to be. Well, then we have Eli, not such a good kid. And although they tried really hard, and Monty tried really hard to be a father to him, he didn't feel like he was loved. And that was really sad. It is. And, and um you know, Eli is, I think, a character that people want to root for because, you know, he's you know, he's just trapped in this dysfunctional family, you know, capital D dysfunction, um, and really never had a fair chance, uh, despite what Monty does to try to make him feel uh, welcome. Mm. Uh, the, absence, the absence of a father early on, combined with the fact that he was, as a young boy, you know, very young, as a you know, one, two-year-old boy, was constantly being handed around to different ladies at the church to be babysat while Rose, you know, tried to make a living and tried to go to college at night. Um, it left him feeling abandoned and uh, unwanted, and uh, he was always compared to his younger brother, Walker, and while Eli was the um, outstanding athlete, Walker more closely resembled what uh, Rose wanted in a boy, and that was a boy that would just behave. And uh, so Eli was, again, left feeling that, that he was unwelcome in his family. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's sad, and I love Walker. But now we've got he meets Kimberly, Right. And what happens with Kimberly? What happens when she's killed? And what do they do and why? That was interesting. Well, um, yeah, we, we, uh, uh, Eli's girlfriend, uh, Kimberly, winds up dead. And um, the, 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 the way the scenes unfold, um, the reader is left, um, you know, the, the characters in the story are left wondering who the killer is and the characters Mm -hmm. come to the conclusion that it must be Eli and the reader knows a little bit more. So I tried to build a little tension in the book between what the reader knows. There were some things the readers know that the characters don't and there are some things the characters know that the readers don't. And I tried to use that tension and balance them out as the story propelled forward because um, you know, Eli runs, he disappears, which certainly makes yeah. him look guilty in the eyes of yep. many people. Uh, Monty is is uh, determined uh, to prove Eli's innocence uh, and hopes that by if he can do that in a very public way, that uh, Eli will hear about it and will come home. And you know, remember, this is 1970s. There's no internet. 
Uh, you know, yeah. there's only three TV stations, maybe four TV stations at the time. So it's not as if the whole world was tuned into everything that was happening everywhere. Um, Monty doesn't know where Eli is, but um, yeah. he is determined to prove to the police department and the local community that uh, Eli is not the killer. So uh, we have that storyline going forward as Monty tries to, to find the real killer so that Eli will feel safe in returning home. But, but then we have... And Rose doesn't, Rose doesn't father. want... We have Kimberly's father that wants to get rid of Monty and take his business. Yes. That was really... Yeah, that, well, that was, yeah. I mean, that's a clever way to get even, but, whoa, boy, wow. Yeah. Kimberly's uh, parents, they were, um, by all outside appearances, they were they had everything. They had money. They had status country club memberships and things such as that. And then when they lose their daughter, um, their life uh, disintegrates. They don't have much of a foundation to fall back on. And we see, sadly, what can happen to a husband and a wife when they lose a child, yeah. especially in a very violent way. So, um, and you kind of, you know, uh, Kimberly's mother reacts in one way. Uh, Kimberly's father reacts in a different way, but they're ultimately driven apart. But um, uh, Kimberly's father, Stephen, decides that um, the Monty's family hasn't suffered enough and sets out to financially ruin him. And it's a small town, Charleston, in the 1970s. So it's, um, it, you know, it's, it's easier to understand what's happening in a person's life and maybe zero in on their strategic weaknesses. So, Stephen makes it his business to uh, ruin Monty professionally and bankrupt him in the hopes that it will destroy his family in the same way uh, Stephen's family was destroyed when they lost their daughter. So Monty has a lot going on. He has a a wife that does not support him in the hunt for the real killer. Uh, He has lost uh, his adopted son, Eli, he feels somewhat estranged from Walker just because they, um, their, their relationship is there's a tremendous amount of pressure in the relationship because mm. Monty wants to take Walker's side, but whenever he does, his wife Rose accuses him of abandoning her. So he has to walk a tightrope there. And then he yeah. has one of the most powerful men in town coming after him to ruin his business. And so things look pretty bleak for Monty for a while. I like Monty though. Monty's a good man. Monty's a good. He does the best he knows how. (laughs) She needs a swift kick. Let me tell you. So Rose resents Eli, but we know why. And Monty tries to compensate. And this is her son, and yet she resents everything about him. I guess because of who the the father is. Correct. The, the father, uh, Eli's real father, um, yeah. the, the young man that she meets at the University of Alabama, uh, whenever she sees Eli, she sees her um, her past. And she wants nothing more than to be free of her past. And because Eli won't perform as she demands, um, she tries to you know isolate him and distance him from the family. And Walker, on the other hand, um, lives in fear. Uh, he, he loves his brother fiercely. He does not want to alienate him, but he's just a young kid. You know, he's 12, 13 years old. The book opens uh, with, with the, yeah. when Eli is at home. So he, he does it. He's not equipped to handle this. And uh, he hurts every time uh, he sees uh, his brother Rose and Eli fight. So, um, yeah, Eli is, I mean, Walker uh, also just doesn't know how, you know, he's not equipped to deal with this dynamic. And it, it affects his life growing up for sure. So, where am I here? Um, Walker goes through a lot, what a lot of other kids go through too. Every time he wants to go play ball, he wants to do something with his father, he wants to do something. Why does she lay guilt on him to make him feel like this is what I want you to do? And I know there are people that do that. And I, do really yes, I, yeah, I, I um, you know, I, I can't. Yeah, you're right. It, it's 
it's basically it's I think it's uh, fear and insecurity that yeah. he will be able to succeed without her. That that he's mm-hmm. that, you know um, a um, a well balanced uh, relationship between parents and children is one that their children are able to step out and stand on their own two feet and move out of the mm-hmm. house, et cetera. And of course you, you know, of course you miss them when they leave and you love it when they come back home for the holidays, but you're thrilled they're able to stand on their own. And um, I believe for Rose, her whole identity is wrapped up in the success of Walker um, that she cannot distance herself. She cannot let Walker be his own man. And she just has to constantly involve mm-hmm. herself in his life. Well, you know, even when she's praising him, uh, well, whereas she sees that as probably motherly love, uh, it's really just constant smothering. And it makes it very difficult for Walker to become his own man because he feels like the choices aren't his. Uh, he does not like the praise which makes it difficult for him to want to mm-hmm. do the right thing. But he's mm-hmm. fearful of the shame um, of, of not performing even more. So he's just, he's not free. He's not free to make mistakes. He's not free to make decisions. And his mother is oblivious to this. Because she, for her success, is evidenced by merit. It's evidenced by performance, uh, top of the class, first place, etc. It's not evidenced by contentment or joy. So she's not able to see the damage she's doing because what all she sees is that what she's doing is working because by and large Walker performs. So she sees. It's almost so like she, like she thinks um, her hard work is working. It's like a trained seal to do what she says. That's scary. Pretty much. It's like, right. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. It's almost as if it's a reflection on her. If he doesn't do what I tell him to do, then it's a reflection on me. I'm not a good parent. I'm not doing this the right way. It's controlling. That's correct. And make herself so whenever okay, Walker, yeah. yeah, whenever Walker stumbles, uh, that's when she lays the shame and guilt on him. She says, "Oh, Walker, you disappointed me. So, you know, what are others going to say?" And yeah, she she takes on anytime he does not live up to her expectations. Uh huh. She makes Walker feel guilty because uh, Rose projects all of Walker's shortcomings as her failures. And uh, likewise, whenever he succeeds, uh, she takes it as evidence of her uh, value, as, as evidence that she has moved beyond the white trash upbringing that she so desperately wants to uh, uh, to flee. I know how that feels because if I didn't get 100 on a test, I got grounded. 99 was not high enough for my mom. And, you That's know, you, you don't realize it. Is. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize it. And I just said, wow. And one day I said to her, 99 is still an A+. Plus. She says, no. She made me write the test over until I got 100. I think that's why I'm such a perfectionist now. But if I make a mistake, then I go, like, whatever. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Yeah. But, yeah. It, yeah it's, no, hard, it's, it's a hard it's, thing it, to link. She didn't do it to my sister or my brother, just me. I don't know why. But, anyway, we have the police, and we have Chief Crandall. So tell us about him and why he was so sure that Eli was guilty. Uh, Chief Crandall, um, you know, I, I tried to, uh, I, I like Chief Crandall, uh, Me too. but I think, you know, Chief Crandall is, is trying to do his job and he's trying to do it professionally. Uh, the crime that happened happened before he took over as chief of police. Mm-hmm. So he had nothing to do with the prosecution of Eli. Uh, he came to understand all of that one day when he meets Monty and, and Monty starts telling him, his theories as to what really happened. And, and Chief Crandall is um, uh, interested and wants to be a good, you know, uh, you know servant of the, of, the, of the public and of the peace. And so he, he sits down and entertains what uh, Monty has to say. But the case had already been marked as closed. Um, there were still outstanding warrants for Eli's arrest. So Chief Crandall is torn between I have to treat this like a police matter and go by procedure. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we find out Chief Crandall goes, well, I'm a father too, and if my children had been falsely accused, and I believe they had been, you know, I too would do anything I could to bring them home. So he sympathizes with, with Monty, 
but at the same time he has to he has to do his job um mm. and monty is is convinced they've found a real killer they know what to do and, and chief crandall um feels he needs to go by the books um but in in the end you know chief crandall you know provides them with the help and support that they need you know to track down the real killer you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot. I do a lot of uh, research, and I interview a lot of police officers. And I wonder sometimes they get stuck between a rock and a hard place, and they think, well, this is the this is the uh, this is the person that did it, and that's it. And he's the he's the one that's that they were going to get the villain, and he's the suspect, and that's about it. And the fact that Chief Crandall was looking past that is amazing. And we're going to actually talk about that on February 10th with three law enforcement officers, how the police are perceived, how they handle things, and how the sh- things should have been handled. No, I'm serious. We are right. doing that. I'm doing that. Because I feel that men in blue get are getting a bad rap lately. So we have to fix that. Oh, they are. I, I think police officers have the most um, difficult job yep. in this country. I, I would put uh, the men and women who are in our armed forces that are in combat on front lines someplace. Yep. As, as being maybe more dangerous because they, they definitely are being shot at constantly. But our I police know. officers, they go out on the streets and, and it could be a routine, you know, uh, pulling over a car. It could be a domestic dispute and they don't know if they're going to get shot. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have nothing but the utmost respect for them. Um, I, I can understand why they draw together and I can understand why they feel when they've arrested someone that they've, quote, caught the bad guy. And I can understand why they would look at defense attorneys with disdain. Yeah. Um, I, I understand that. And I, I say I understand it. I can't understand it as if I was actually a police officer because I've never been one. But I look at the job they have to do, and I'm very thankful that we have dedicated men and women that uh, want to do their best to keep us safe. I, I agree, and I heard, I don't want to say which politician's wife last month got up and said that this person wants to run for a borough president, but this person would like to do it without the police in her borough. I would suggest yeah. that everybody move from the borough first. So <laughs> we've got two other officers, Tyrell and Perlman. Tell us about them, and then why does the FBI get involved in this also? This really well, good. okay, we've got uh, Officer Tyrell and Officer Perlman, uh, and, you know, we meet them um, when uh, Stephanie uh, is killed and the police officers need to come to the house and they need to investigate. And Eli was Stephanie's girlfriend and they had been seen together uh, the night that Eli, I'm sorry, the night that Stephanie disappears. So they're doing their job. They are, they're out trying to find out where was she last seen? Have you seen her? What's going on? And, um, you know, it's said in the 1970s, and um, uh, Rose is a racist like her grand, uh, like her father was. And so one of the officers is black and one of the officers is white. And I really didn't want to make race a part of this issue, a part of the mm-hmm. book, just because it wasn't part of the story. Um, but because Rose carries a little bit of, uh, well, not carries a little bit, because Rose carries a lot of uh, racist fear and her bones uh, and it and it becomes slightly relevant in one scene um, I decided to make the two arresting officers um, one white and one black um, mm-hmm. one of the officers sons is good friends with Eli and what we find out is that um, when uh, when Stephanie is murdered and, and things are sort of you know all hell is breaking loose and Eli is a scared young boy and Eli Eli runs, and, and he is chased down by the police, and the police arrest him, and we learn later that the police are kicking themselves a little bit. They said, you know, our training kicked in. We had a, a suspect flee a scene, and what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to catch that suspect and arrest him. We mm-hmm. did what we were supposed to do, but they were also secretly uh, and then very openly overjoyed when it becomes clear that uh, Eli uh, is innocent and that there was somebody else. Um, so they, they play a role in the book. Um, you know, they did their job, but at the same time, um, you know, they, they, they were, um, you know, kept their minds open. And when the real killer revealed himself, 
they were as quick as anybody else to jump in and to try to, you know, uh, correct the facts and catch the bad guy. Well, we've got Eli. Monty believes Eli is innocent, but does Rose believe he's innocent? Well, you know, without giving away too much about how the book unfolds. Yeah, don't want to um, give that away, but that's interesting, right? Let's let's just say that um, Monty uh, believes Eli is innocent. It's in Rose's, Rose perceives that it is in her best interest for the world to go on believing Eli is guilty. And I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Um, and this is one of those situations where there are things the characters know that the readers don't, and there are things the readers know that all the characters don't. And there's a point or two in the book when they all kind of come together. So we'll, it, uh, Rose perceived that it was in her best interest for the world to go on believing that Eli was the killer. Well, before I forget, because I don't want to forget, I never do three shows in one week, but on November 30th, there was a big storm, and my internet and my computer went out in the middle of a really important show with a lot of uh, this is a little strong impact. So tomorrow, psychotherapist Dennis Palumbo and I are going to tackle fear, stress, isolation and anxiety in during this pandemic and i'm doing it for me and for everybody else that feels that the end depression that they need to learn how to handle what's happening and we're going to do that on tomorrow on the 18th we have the author of uh, the madness of mercury on the 20th i am totally excited i just hope this really happens james Gorpando, 20 and on the 21st I'm tackling something that I, I didn't, somebody, oh, there's a former FBI agent, that's my friend, and he asked if we could please talk about the Capitol riots. What went wrong? We're going to do that on the 21st at 10. And on the 25th, the author, Robert Bates. On the 27th, uh, Winter Wins This. And that's just January. Wait till February. You're very, you're very busy. I just booked the last show for May. The next one is in June, and I've got three in June already. I can't believe how busy I am. It's, like, amazing. But I'm, Fran, I'm that's great. Good for you. Iris Johansson's coming on next month, and so is Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. I'm like, I can't believe it. It's, 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 it's exciting. So what is what, Walker is special. What are his goals? If he could decide where he wants to go, where would he want to go? What does he want to do with his life? Besides the fact that we're going to talk about Eddie. I like Eddie a lot. Yeah. Well, Walker, uh, we learn early on in the book, you know, when the book opens, he's a junior in high school. Then we have a flashback. It goes back to he's about sixth grade. Mm-hmm. But we know that Walker wants to go to Georgetown University, and he wants to get as far away from Charleston as possible, and he mm-hmm. wants to – to live a big life. He wants to move to Europe and, and live in Europe for a while. Um, yeah, he's madly in love with Isabel, and, and it appears yeah. that Isabel is madly in love with him, as, as in love as high school kids can be. So we do know that Walker um, is driven. Um, it, it, to what extent is it internally and to what extent it comes from his mother? Uh, that is problematic, but uh, he's very bright. Um, and he wants to, so, I mean, in subsequent books, we might see Walker, you know, uh, head to college and, and, uh, end up living overseas. So we're I'm working on a, on a sequel that would involve more about Walker. You know, Eddie is, um, when I started the book and, you know, I, we have Walker and Walker's AAA personality. He, he overplans everything. He overworks everything. He is as committed as possible to, to winning, um, not at all costs. He doesn't cheat. I mean, but he, he's just, he is so driven to, uh, to win. And then we have Eddie, who is sort of the anti-walker. Eddie is mm-hmm. as athletically gifted as anyone you'll meet. Uh, he's naturally good-looking without being beautiful. Uh, he's the kid that shows up with the uh, old floppy socks and shoes, but it's just faster than everybody else. And to him, it comes easily, and he's not arrogant. He's, he's just as relaxed and comfortable in his own skin as he possibly could be for a boy that age. So I really just use Eddie almost just as a 180-degree phase, as a, a character 
180-degree out-of-phase with Walker to contrast them. And they're friends. Uh, Walker's a bit jealous of Eddie. Eddie's oblivious mm-hmm. to it because Eddie always wins. And, and Walker gets a little angry about this because Eddie, it, it comes easily for Eddie. And Walker has to work his tail off and feels mm-hmm. that his victories should be worth more because he had to earn them. And, and Eddie is there to be the contra walker as the person that just takes life as it comes and celebrates each day. So Eddie really there is just to sort of make Walker, it's just a contrast with Walker. And he, he, he you know, he reappears you know, one other time in the book. That's what the, the economic status matters to a lot of these people, Rose, Stephen, all of them, not so much Monty. She's worried about right. economic static and was, which relates to the title, Blood in the Low Country. It seems that it sort of fits there. So how does that fit the title of the story, which I just realized? Well, yeah, I um, when we were looking for a title, I couldn't believe how difficult it was to come up with a book title that yeah. um, that uh, would capture a reader's interest that hadn't been used, you know, hundreds of times already. Um, Etc. So, and, and also have it work with the book cover design. So we ended up, you know, the book is set in Charleston in the 1970s. So it's set in the Low Country. So, um, and the book opens up with a cross-country meet on Kiowa Island. So the setting there, you know, a Low Country scene for a book cover seemed to to be crying out. And then you know, we do have a murder, and so we have blood in the Low Country. But at the same time, the book involves family and the family dynamics. And blood was meant to be a double entendre, double meeting, blood in terms of actual blood, but blood in terms of family. So it's like family in the low country, blood in the low country. Um, so that's how we ended up settling on the title, that the blood was supposed to be uh, evidence that there's a murder, but some violence, but at the same time, family as well. And you know, I, the, there is a murder in the book, and Wrath is a bad man. But mm-hmm. I didn't, uh, I did not want to glamorize the murder. Murder happens off no. scene; it's not described. It's just we know it happens. I didn't want to glamorize Wrath or try to get into his head and understand why mm-hmm. he is. He was just, he was just a shark moving in the water. So um, I didn't want to write a book that would be characterized as gory and violent. Um, so the, the murder happens off scene. I think that's what drew me to the book because David sent me um, the email and I'm going like, okay, how did you find me, David? I have no idea. People are finding me all over the place. I have no idea how. And I think in the last two weeks I've got 20 requests for reviews. The problem is the post office isn't delivering them. And this is really upsetting. And then I went and what happened was I gave your book away and I went and got it again because I said I didn't know he wanted me to interview you. Because usually after I do an interview, there are 20 people that have their hands out for everything that I read. Because I know I only read the best things. And I don't do interviews unless I think the book is five stars, people. I'm serious. I'm very well, thank busy. you very much. I appreciate it. Yep. And I reposted your, um, your review on Facebook because everybody reads what I write. So Kimberly's mother surprises us, and she comes to Eli's defense. How come? That's unusual. Well, yeah, so when, when Stephanie uh, dies, uh, as, you know, the, her parents, um, um, I'm sorry, when Kimberly dies, excuse me, when Kimberly dies, her parents, Stephanie yeah. and uh, Stephen, they, um, their lives go in different directions. Um, and and uh, ultimately, initially, um, uh, the mother retreats to, you know, pills and alcohol. Um, you know, she, she had faith in her background, uh, she grew up in the church, but it, it just wasn't really helping. Just It just wasn't helping. And she was full of anger. And uh, ultimately, she divorces um, Stephen. Stephen's solution to the problem was to bury himself in work and seek solace and uh, congratulations at the office. And he was a prominent, successful banker in Charleston, good-looking man, and he attracted the attention of all the um, mm. secretaries around the office and um, and felt that somehow he was deserving of this attention. And so they ultimately divorce, and um, Kimberly's mother comes back into the picture when the real killer is discovered, 
And what we learned from her is that, frankly, at the end of the day, she never thought Eli was the killer. But it was simply easier for her to uh, move on if she could um, pretend that they knew who it was. Um, but we learned that you know she had been in some contact with Rose later on, as as the plot quickens towards the end, and she had she moved back to Richmond, which is where she was from, and she mm-hmm. got her life together, and she was able to she took back her old name. And she was able to forgive, and um, then she comes forward and, and defends Eli because she said in her heart of hearts she really knew that Eli couldn't have been the one. And um, so we learn a little bit more about her. She does come back around and find peace in her life, but it, it took um, it took a little it, it took work. The scene I found at the end was fantastic. Without how did you create the final scenes between Walker and Eddie? That was really good. It sort of says it all. Thank you. Yeah. No, um, the book opened with a scene between Walker and Eddie, and they were running in a race, yep. um, uh, a, a, a track well, it was a cross-country meet sanctioned by the high schools in the area. And, um, and so, um, you know, one of the themes that I wanted to address in the book was, um, was freedom, the things that bind us. And a lot of the things that bind us are um, – fears, uh, expectations of others, seeming inability to be able to make decisions for yourself. And um, Walker wasn't free. Uh, He suffered under his mother's constant attention, the shame and the guilt. He just felt all bound up. And um, so I decided, well, we needed one last scene between Walker and Eddie. So I, I wrote that scene early on. And I, I really liked the scene. And I said, well, I, but I wasn't sure where I was going to use it. I just, you know, so in the process of engineering the story and rolling it out in a way that hopefully would keep the reader, you know, um, flipping the pages to find out what was going to happen next, I just knew I needed that scene somewhere. And just as the book progressed, it made sense to end the book uh, because, um, and this time it's a private race just the two of them and they're and you know walkers eddie's still the easygoing guy walker's still a little bit uptight and uh eddie is a bit wiser than um walker is as is walker's girlfriend isabel and it's just i found it a great way to close the book with walker and eli having a private race across um a plantation owned by a mutual friend. So I'll just leave it at that. But it, it addresses uh, those that theme of the freedom. Last sentence says, the last sentence says it all. I'm not going to tell what anybody said, but you've got to read the last. Yeah. The last sentence in the book says it all perfectly. Seriously. Thank you. See, I got that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, teens can learn a lot from reading this novel. And so can parents. What can teens learn? What do you hope teens take away if they read this novel? Because they can read it. This is for young teens, like, you know, 14 and over, 12 and over, even then. They can learn a lot from this. And what can parents learn from the mistakes that Rose made that maybe she learned from and that we could all learn from? What what would you tell teens to learn from this and parents to learn from this? Because, you know, you can only be so perfect, but sometimes you put so much pressure on somebody that they fall apart and break and then they do the wrong thing, which does happen. No, I mean, uh, those are good questions. Um, You know, uh, my wife and I, were 57 years old. We have three adult children and one uh, four-month-old grandson. So we're now watching our oldest daughter become a parent. And... Mm -hmm. Um, I, a, a friend of mine, a wise man, uh, older than I am, who has been um, a life coach and a mentor for me, told me once years ago, he said, Paul, our parents do the best they know how. They just don't know how. And I thought, well, okay, that's <laughs> interesting. Um, and so I think uh, if a teens were to read this book, um, it would um, – maybe give them some insight into what their parents deal with that often, you know, parents can be torn between their desire to be a spouse, a mate for their spouse and a parent. And and parents aren't always on the same page. Um, 
with how to be a parent. And, and so it's, you know, it's not easy being a parent and parents do the best they know how. Um, so if a teen were to read this book, um, you know, quite possibly they would identify with, with Walker a bit, uh, maybe Eli, and it would just be to, uh, you know, to, to not think your parents are going to be perfect. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're doing the best they know how. Um, now, if, you, if you've got a parent that is physically um, or sexually abusive, um, I'm not, I'm not um, qualified to counsel uh, that situation. Uh, find help. Mm-hmm. Um, find help quickly. Find help. Find help. Find help. But if you were dealing with uh, a parent that just might put a little too much pressure on you uh, for how you do in mm-hmm. school, um, I, I, would, I would hope that you could read this book and, and maybe understand your parents are doing the best they know how, um, but you can still be your own person. And then similarly, if you're a parent reading this book, um, I think that uh, it would be hopefully an eye-opener um, we all have a little bit of Rose in us. We all have a little yep. bit of Monty in us. We mm-hmm. all do. And to, be, and to be aware of this and to not test our children. We can't be our children's best friend. There is a time for, you know, quote, laying down the law. But um, to, to let them grow, to let them make mistakes, as long as they're not going to hang themselves, you know, don't give them the keys to the car when they've been drinking, you know, something really stupid. But... Um, to let them, you know, to let them make mistakes. That's the only way you really learn. And then I, I, agree I think with you. The, the, the last my bro- my brother's My brother's this. tough like that also on his three kids. That's why they call me to get them out of the problem. They'll say, you know, dad get is doing this. Problem, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you, 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 need, you, need to, you need to help fix it. <laughs> that's what yeah. Ant's for. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what, yeah, that's what Aunt Fran is for. I think the, the last... Yeah. Uh, lesson would be, and this is you know my personal worldview coming through. Uh, I grew up in the South, and I like to say I was churched to death. Uh, mm-hmm. An organized religion for me has fallen short, but I do believe that Jesus is who He says He is, and mm-hmm. I hope that that came through in the book. That Monty, in his deepest, darkest points in his life, um, there had been enough religion planted. Uh, the seeds of who Jesus is had been planted in Rose and they'd been planted in Monty. Um, and they, those seeds grew and there were roots there um, of a faith that at the end of the day came through. And um, that uh, if you have an opportunity, if it's important to you, if understand, if, if Jesus is real to you, um, introduce them to your children. Your children will make up their own mind, but introduce it to them. You'll be, you may be surprised that years later that introduction pays off for them. Okay, so what's next for you? Are you bringing Walker back? I hope. Yes, yes. Um, I'm I'm working on the next book. Uh, Admittedly, um, I'm not sure which direction it's going to go in. But I think we're going to be learning. It, the next books are definitely going to be focused more on Eli and or Walker. Um, people I've spoken to, they want to know what happened to Eli. Where has he been? How is he yeah, ever going to forgive Rose? Right. So I'm working on a storyline that involves Eli. And I am working on a storyline where Walker um, does end up uh, at Georgetown University because he wants to ultimately you know, work for the State Department and live overseas. And so I have a storyline that uh, lands him um, and uh, potentially lands him in uh, East Berlin when the wall is coming down, Russia, oh, at nice. the beginning of the 90s. So um, working on a storyline that surrounds that. And I hope I get it. I hope, I hope, I hope so, too. I hope I get it. <laughs> if you send yeah. it to me or David will send it to me, I never know. Yes. You know, I, I sent him your review, and then he said, okay, you're going to interview him. I go, okay. <laughs> I'm glad he told me early because literally I feel bad when I have to say I can't do something. But I usually, like I said, I don't do three in a week, but sometimes, you know, what can I say? It's just me. 
But um, before we ask, where can we find out more about you and your work? And I'm praying to God that I finish my next one. My last book is called What If? What if you lived in the world that I created? Would everybody start paying attention and be a little bit more diligent in the world that we're in? I created nine worlds, and um, one of them has no sun. One of them is a polar region, and one of them is just a devastated forest. And that's all I'll say about that. There's no people in the book. It's called The World Without People. And then I invite a person. I hope so. I, I invite a person to come back and just describe what they see. And I'm going to create one more world that I, I thought about this morning in the middle of the night. and go, what about a world that's one big cloud that you really can't see, a mist? So I, ha- I have to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out how to write 35,000 words, but I only got 5,000 so far. But we're getting there. But where can everybody get a, uh, co- get a copy of your book? Where can they learn more about you? And um, there are hands out for this one. I can tell you that. Well, uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, you know, I have a website. It's pauladaway.com, just my name, Paul, and my last name is A-T-T-A-W-A-Y. And uh, my Instagram page is author Paul Attaway. And um, I am generating new content. You know, I'm a, I'm a you know, debut author, uh, self-published. Mm-hmm. So in order to drive sales, um, I, I need to generate content. So I'm working on a series of blogs and some other new material, possibly a short story along the way. And I'm hoping for oh, nice. uh, my next hoping for my next book to come out first quarter of next year. And the book is available at Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. Those are the two online platforms where you can purchase it and, uh, you know, electronic copy paperback or hardback. And I'm also approaching, you know, independent bookstores. The challenge with that though, is that I literally mm-hmm. have to go door to door. So I've started, of course, in the Charleston area, and there's a half a dozen or so bookstores now between, you know, Savannah and um, uh, and Charleston mm-hmm. that are carrying the book. And I'm, I'm hoping to do more uh, of that. And then I'm trying to reach out to book clubs. And I can uh, – last night I appeared at a book club via Zoom. Um, oh, nice. Uh, the, the, the woman who was hosting the book club broke out with COVID. She was symptom-free, but she says, I can't have the dinner we were planning. So we all just got together by Zoom, and we sat and talked for about an hour about the book. So I've done a couple of those, and I'm hoping, I'm mm-hmm. hoping that that picks up this year as well, that if people are interested in having me uh, as a guest at their uh, book clubs, I would love to do that. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and hopefully more and more bookstores will start carrying it. I hope so, too, because I tried to get my book in the library, and they wouldn't take it. And it's not that my book wasn't good. Yeah. My book is called The Daughter's Promise. I wrote it about my mom um, when, when she died. She had Alzheimer's, and everybody loved the book. But they said, you didn't get a journal or whatever review. I said, but I've got famous authors that read it. New York Times authors gave me five stars to read it because I go to the Phyllis Fest, and everybody knows who I am. Lucky me, and um, yeah. yeah, and they wouldn't they wouldn't take it, and the library the library yeah. wouldn't take it, and and Barnes and Noble wouldn't take it either because they said you don't have a whatever. It, it's really it's sad. Yeah, it's hard up here. It is. Anyway, it's difficult. In order to get, it's, it's, I, it's I had to get the I you know the IBSN number, and and upload it to the platform at Ingram Spark, and then at I least know. in theory. That's where uh, libraries can order the book. They can order it through Ingram Spark, and then uh, that's where Barnes and Noble can get the electronic copy. Uh, well, you'd be surprised if you look at Kobo Books, Thrift Books, Thrift Books a Million. I make a bet your books there, because my book is on Walmart and Target, and I didn't know it was there either. And then I found some of my yeah. books are on Strand. You, you just have you have no idea. They're they're just about everywhere. You just don't even know it. And people could find them just about. And A Books also has it. I learned that yesterday when I was vlogging yes. myself. Sometimes I just Google me. I go like, are you really there? But I want to thank you so much. <laughs> do you, Paul, do you do panel shows by any chance? I'd love to. Okay, so I have to remember that because I just, I'm waiting for, um, actually one of the authors is, is setting up something for me in, in May with four people. And I was like, you really going to get these four people? I interviewed Jeffrey Diva last month. I couldn't believe it. 
It's like I was in shock, <laughs> but he came on. They wrote an anthology. But um, if I if I can set up a panel, another one in May or June, I will let David know so he will tell you the logistics. But uh, we talk about different things in publishing, different ways to create characters, and different ways to create plot and anything else that I could possibly think of. But I want to thank you so much, everybody. What I say at the end of every show, just one ask. Please, let's be safe. Everybody, go out and wear a mask. Don't go outside without one. Everybody, have a great day. Paul, stay safe. Everybody, have a great day, and bye. Thank you very much, friend. I appreciate it.